to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Natural MD Radio. This is your host, Aviva Ram midwife, herbalist, and physician. And we're here today with another episode, the second in our series, that hopefully will be a very long, ongoing series of birth and birth-related stories. And as I shared with you last time, there's a saying that is so important to me, which is, stories are data with a soul. So we can hear about different things in the news and the media, but when we hear the stories from our real sisters, friends, colleagues, the people we hear in podcasts, it can be very transformative for us. And our goal, we don't really have a goal other than to share real stories, but if there is a transformation in the story or insight, or so many times women go through an experience and at the other end, there's truly lived experience wisdom that we can share with you to maybe make your way easier, or should you ever find yourself in a situation, or maybe you've been in a situation before, and you hear another person's story, we all know that feeling of relief, or connection, or less aloneness, and healing in that. So today, to share her birth story, is Emily Baldoni. Emily is an actress and an entrepreneur from Uppsala, Sweden, who has lived in the U.S. since 2005. She has a long career as an actress in both TV and film, and she's also the co-founder of AMA, a mama lifestyle brand that launched in 2019 with the mission of it to celebrate and elevate the motherhood experience. Emily lives in L.A. with her husband, actor Justin Baldoni, and her two beautiful babies, Maya and Maxwell. Emily, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you grew up in a country that has birth in a much more normalized part of life than we do here in the U.S. Did you grow up with birth as a normalized experience or not so much? He's so normal to the point where I don't think I ever really you know, I never questioned it. Uh, it never seemed like um, a traumatic experience at all. It was just such a part of life. So organic and so natural that I, I can't ever remember, um, you know, thinking as a girl or a young woman that there was anything else to it. But this is part of life. This is normal. <laughs> and were you exposed to pregnancy? Were you exposed to birth? Like, did your mom have you at home or your siblings at home? Or did you know people who were having home birth back even when you were growing no. up? So I don't think, but at least back when I, when I grew up there, um, home births were not that common. Um, from, from what I knew, you just, you just went to the hospital, but the experience at the hospitals were um, really great ones. Women were never rushed to perform <laughs> in birth. Um, they, they got to take their time and, and the stories that I heard were always very positive ones. Um, I am the younger one, so I, I never experienced my mother giving birth, except for my own experience when <laughs> she birthed me. Um, but yeah, her stories about her births, I have one older sister, um, they're just very positive. 
um, and and good stories, uh, and that that's really all I can remember. And had you heard grown up here? Gr- had you grown up hearing the word midwife? No. So it was really not part of how you grew up, and yet somehow, somewhere along the line, I heard that you decided to have a home birth with your first, and your first, I presume, is Maya, given the order. Maya, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you chose yeah. to have a home birth. How did that come about? So a friend of mine uh, had a home birth, or she she was aiming to have a home birth. She did have the transfer to the hospital uh, towards the end. But, um, and that's when I was early on in my pregnancy with Maya, and that planted a seed for sure. And she even let me come with her to one of her prenatal um, visits with her midwife. And that definitely opened the world for me. This, the interesting thing is that when, you know, when I got pregnant, it just felt like it was a deep, deep inner knowing that I wanted to have my baby at home. Tell me what that felt and, like for you. Like where, where, where was that place? It, it, I almost, I almost can feel it like in my, gut, like literally physically in my belly oh, when you're saying that. It, totally deep, deep in my gut. It was almost like it was a message from Maya, mm-hmm. you know, Be, being a little, being a little person in there that was just like, we're doing this at home. Um, and I was also incredibly drawn to the midwife experience, midwifery care. Um, as soon as I started talking about this idea, there were um, there was a little bit of pushback from my husband in a very loving way where he was like, oh, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure we shouldn't just be at the hospital to be super safe, yada, yada? Um, I shared it with my mom. She, she was very supportive, but also had a couple questions. She wanted to make sure that I was that I was going to be super safe. And I remember the three of us actually sitting down watching, um, uh, what is it? The store? No. What, uh, what's the documentary? Ricky Lakes. Oh, um, business of being born. Business. Mm -hmm. Yes. We watched that. And me and my husband, we were just weeping. Um, and we felt so connected to it. And then we had our first meeting with a midwife and completely fell in love with her and her practice when we walked in, she hugged us. We sat there for an hour and a half and just talked about birth and pregnancy. And I felt so held um, in that 90 minutes that I was just completely convinced. And so was my husband and my mom. Um, and I didn't even interview any other midwives. I just knew that this woman was my person. Mm. And luckily for me, the same thing happened with my doula. I met with one person, I actually met her in a yoga class and we just connected and she did what, what my midwife did is that they brought magic back into pregnancy and birth. When they spoke about me and to me and about my body and what it was experiencing and what it was going to experience, I felt like a freaking goddess. Tell I me more. What did that look like for you? So what were some of the things? So, Do you remember? Um, it was very much about the the not just the birthing of my child, but the birthing of a woman. You know, it was that feeling of going from maiden to mother. Mm. Um, it was like a, an initiation. It felt like I, I was embarking upon something that was magical and really huge in my life. 
Um, and I'm sure a lot of those messages came from within as well, but they definitely created that space for me to explore that journey, that it wasn't just about, this is what your body's going to do. You're going to have contractions. It's going to feel like this. And then you spread your legs. And then, you know, it wasn't just like the physical, the medical experience of it. It was, um, they gave me that reminder that, oh my gosh, you're birthing a human being and you're also birthing the side of you who is a woman that has always been in there, but now she gets to come out and like claim her, like her space and place in the world. Um, and even just talking about contractions as surges or waves, mm-hmm. part of the experience that every time you feel it, yes, it can get intense, but, but allow for them to come because every surge will take you one step closer to holding your baby. And, this whole idea of um, getting to know my baby while she, I mean, this was my aunt, it was she, uh, while she was still in there, that I could sing to her and talk to her. And if I felt afraid, I could talk to her about my feelings and let her know that this is not your fear. This is mama's fear because this is a big deal to me. And I'm a little bit nervous. I've never done this before. But just starting that conversation between her and I was, it was just such an incredible experience for me. Tell me about some of the and fears you had. And, and Yeah, that sounds incredible. Just to have mm. that um, Western medicine just really does relegate the pregnancy birth experience to this physical, mechanical, checking on these parameters oh, yeah. with no sort of um, just bigger picture of the human experience and transformation it's it's really ignored and it sounds like you got all of that so beautiful so lucky so blessed yeah and so and the fears that yeah. I had yeah um, and, and the reason I'm asking I, is not to dwell on the fears only to you know it, it is such a huge unknown and I mean I had all my four babies at home and I went into it with that also that like empowered goddess trust feeling, but it didn't mean there weren't fears along the way that came up for me. Is my baby going to be okay? What if I have to go to the hospital? What if there's a complication? What if something happens to me? Like these were all just sort of normal thoughts that would come through. I would try not to Mm -hmm. invite them to sit down for a tea party, but but they came, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they do. Yeah. Yeah. They they definitely come knocking on the door. (laughs) Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think I had so much coming up. The 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 main one I would say, or the two main ones, was that what if something goes wrong? Um, and the fear of the pain. Mm. And I think what if something goes wrong is something that is. Um, I think, unfortunately, we are programmed to think that our bodies can't do the job. That's what we're told, right? Growing up, I had been told. I have a very athletic build and growing up, I would hear from women and men because I have pretty narrow hips. They would comment on them and say, Oh my gosh, how are you going to carry children one day? So how are you going to be able to birth a child one day? So So even when as a kid, you had this negative, it's, you know, I had a, my first, my first baby that I ever midwifed at home just turned 34 a couple of days ago. And his mama is probably five two five three and his dad is this tall lanky green bean of a guy but who's probably six four 
And she went to her first prenatal visit when she was like two or three months pregnant. And the OB took one look at the husband, the partner, and looked at her. And right at that moment, she's like two or three months pregnant, said, you're never going to get that baby out. And so, you know, now we're, what, eight months later, she's moved to my town so I could be her midwife. We had been friends for a few years at that point. And um, she is literally pushing the baby. I mean, the baby is full crown about to come out in this home birth after a very straightforward labor. And she just stopped. She has black hair and like dark black eyes. And I will never forget, she looked like a deer in the headlights. And she said, Aviva, um, is my baby stuck or am I going to be able to get this baby out? And it was just like, no, your baby's coming out. Like, feel your baby's head. Your baby's right here. Your baby's going to come out in one or two pushes. But that fear was so deep in her from having mm-hmm. been told that. So I can't imagine if you'd been told that since you were a child. Like, did that come yeah. up for you and just come up for you and come up for you? It did. Ugh. It is so unfair. It makes me angry when I hear these stories. Um, it's just so wrong on all levels. But what was amazing is that in one of my first midwife's appointments, when she was checking me out, she, um, she just said, you know, I think I actually brought up that concern. And then she said, honey, it has nothing to do with your mm-hmm. hips. It's your pelvis and your pelvis is amazing and ready to do this. <laughs> problem. It was one of the first things she said to me. Um, and that just filled me with so much confidence and this feeling of, oh my gosh, I can do this. My body was, was built to do this. And um, that just put me on a path that was so much more positive and took care of a lot of that fear of my body can't do this. My body can't do this. My body can't do this. But I also made sure for the rest of my pregnancy to surround myself with that kind of narrative by going to Kundalini prenatal yoga, by doing meditations and breath work and, and just constantly focusing on what my body is capable of doing. That's really Um, important. Yeah. Yeah. So important. And I had to keep feeding that messaging to me because the, the doubt and the fear, they will keep, you know, like I said, they will, they will keep coming back, knocking on your door. Well, and I don't know what it is. So and I've, I've said this in the podcast before, but I, I don't know what it is. It's like pregnant women seem to have this invisible sign that other people think they can read, but that we really don't have. And, and it's like one message is touch my belly, even if I haven't invited you to. And the other is tell me your worst birth story. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I had to intentionally also, and as a midwife, you can imagine like you're hearing all kinds of stuff like, when I'm pregnant, no, I want to hear a different narrative that keeps me feeling confident. For sure. I, I had to get really picky, even with the kind of stuff that I watched on TV or the things that I read, you know, th- there was a bit of a war inside myself because I like to stay educated and, and, and aware of what's happening in the world right now. But being pregnant, I had to say no to so many things. Mm-hmm. I stopped watching the news. Of course, I learned about the most important things that were going on in the world. But I, I really had to turn off any negative messaging um, and just look at the positive, uh, the positive stories out there, both within the birth world and in in the world in general. And I think that's what also helped very much because I had an idea of the birth story and the birth plan that I wanted. Right. And then reading the book, uh, Ina May Gaskin's book. um, Did you read spiritual, did you read spiritual midwifery or the Ina May Gaskin birth book? It was that one, the birth book. The birth book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I believe, because that one is has has so many stories uh, from different births. And reading those really helped me because it's very clear that you can plan as much as you want. <laughs> and then you're in the middle of, you know, labor and birth and, and things may not go as you planned. Not that they will be less beautiful, but things will things will not go the way that you planned. Um, and just reading these stories and and realizing that that as mothers, if you have a great birth team, you can just navigate those changes. Like you go with the flow of things and and if you if you surrender and you have the support that you need, you are ready to face those changes. Um, and that helped me so, so much just to read about the certain things that can happen, um, in what order things happen, how partners can help, the role of the midwives and the doulas and how they just hold space. Uh, it really prepared me for... One, knowing what I want, and then two, being willing to let go of what I want to keep me and baby safe. And you had um, two very different birth experiences, which you've not shared the stories with me specifically before. So this will be the first time I'm hearing them as well. But I know that you had one birth experience at home and then a different birth experience with your second baby. So you really have internalized this truth of knowing what you want and that and that act of surrender and I'd love to explore that with you if you're comfortable with that mm, I would love that so with Maya um you know we wanted a home birth and that's exactly what we got to have um there were a few things that I was that I was afraid of somehow I just uh I don't know. I just knew that I wouldn't have to go to the hospital. I don't know if that means anything, but I, 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 I can't remember. I mean, this is now five years ago. It's amazing how much you forget. Um, but I don't remember being too worried about having to transfer. The worry was more about some pretty silly stuff. Like I knew I didn't want to puke and I did not want to poop. <laughs> Interesting. And I did, I did all of those. Yeah, yeah. I also wanted it to be a very quick birth <laughs> uh -huh. with, with very little pain. And it took 35 hours oh. of hard work. Not that birth is never hard work, but I, I definitely had thought that it was going to be, that it was going to be quicker than that. But I had planned for a water birth. I sat in that water for hours um, until... The midwife very sweetly whispered in my ear and asked if I maybe environment if I wanted to get out of the water, which was getting kind of <laughs> yucky. Yeah, just get up and move the energy and a I little. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that was so important. And we went into my bedroom, um, and my transition was very long. It was hours, and then I pushed for five hours, which I didn't even know was possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the memory of it was just really hard work. I used my body. I got to move around. I used my voice and breathing. I just remember being very active, a very, very active part participant and working hard. And the pushing for five hours was just on a different level. And at the same time, I was on a different level altogether in my mind. I was just I was both very much in the room and I was also not in the room. I don't think that like we're out of body. Yeah. Experience. Like a shift in consciousness, right? Completely. Yeah. 
Completely. Where I was in a prayerful state. I think I just prayed nonstop for hours. And what, what was so beautiful, as hard as it was, um, I also remember it as a very beautiful experience because my team was there, my husband, very involved. Thank goodness. Such an amazing guy. Um, my midwife was obviously there and my doula and the midwife's assistant came towards the end, but they were like, I barely remember them being there. I just remember their soft touches to my cheek, the whispering in my ear, the holding my hand when I was squeezing their hand so tight. I don't remember even whose hand that was, but there was mm. always a hand there for me to squeeze. Um, little massages. And then they would just step away if they knew I needed space or if I had asked for space. They really let the experience be my own and also the experience of my husband. That's beautiful. Um, and what was the and, what yeah. was the what was the setting like? Were you on the bed? Or did you have a birthing ball? Were you walking? Yeah, in the beginning I moved around a lot, and then I was in that <laughs> that murky water for, for <laughs> yeah. hours. And we and then we moved into the bedroom, and we had music playing, and candles were lit. Um, but when I was in my bed, that's where like the the, the pushing really started. Mm. And when, where did your um, mind go? Do you remember? Help. Did you go, did you go into like a non-thinking space? Like for me, I remember in my, um, one of my labors getting into this, uh, like as if I had taken the psychedelic and going very transpersonal and having this moment where I had this feeling you know, like when you look in a mirror and, and like, like, have you ever been like where there are two mirrors facing and you can keep seeing the mirror going back and back and back and back and back and back. And it was like that, mm. but all the women who had ever given birth before me. And I felt really like I could actually feel them. I know. Did you have any, that is, yes. It's so interesting that you say that I would go in and out. I would have moments of being, like I said, very much in the room where my fears were coming back, mm. my doubts were coming back, where I would just ask you know, with fear in my voice, I would ask my midwife, is everything going okay? Because it just took, took so long. <laughs> yeah, It took so long and it took so much work. And I was like, is this normal? Is this okay? And she would be right there and comforting me and, you know, checking my heart rate and the baby's heart rate and everything was fine. It was just taking a long time. And yeah. they were reminding me that this is perfectly normal. It, there's nothing that says that a birth should be quick, right? Mm -hmm. Or easy. Um, but then I would leave. I would leave them. My mind would go elsewhere. And where I would pull, I, I, I told you earlier that I, I kept praying, but it was less praying like up to the godly spirit, heavenly father. It was like I was praying down to Mother Earth, mm -hmm. to my ancestors. I was just feeling them rooting for me and mm. helping me with those contractions and the pushing and the something stepped in. Totally. Something else stepped in and just took over. And I don't know what to label it. I don't know what to name it, but I'm immensely forever grateful for that power that stepped in because it's, it's, uh, and it totally felt like ancestors. All mm. the women that have done this for me were just like telling me that you were meant to do this. Don't doubt it. It's happening. Every minute something is happening. Um, and then, and then our sweet baby Maya. And I, I, I remember that feeling of heavenly relief that the, <laughs> all those physical experiences, like it was done and the feeling that I had done it. And it was such relief that I actually, 
I don't know how much time I took. Maybe it was just a, a minute or even just a few seconds, but I had to just lay there. I, I couldn't even, you know, I was sort of on my side giving birth, lying on my side and somebody was holding up one leg so that my, my legs were spread. But I remember just needing to take a moment to myself where it was interesting, where it wasn't even about my baby in that moment. It was a quick moment of me just holding myself going, mama, you've arrived. You did it. Your baby's here. Take this minute to just like breathe, come back. And then, of course, it was all about my baby. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, but I feel like that, too, was almost a messaging from, you know, women of the past. It's just like, take this moment. You're allowed to breathe. <laughs> take this moment to yourself. Um, and it was incredible. And then, then the other thought was, I will never do this again. <laughs> but that, that was over rather, rather quickly. You know, that, that's the exhaustion. Yes, speech. totally. Um, and it was the the most amazing feeling to see this baby that was ours who had been on this nine month journey with me. And now she was here and I got to look at her and we got to figure out how to put a diaper on her. And, <laughs> and we made sure to let the, um, uh, before we cut the umbilical cord, we waited for, for, for quite, quite a while, um, before they cut that. And it's just the most heavenly experience to see your baby for the first time. My God. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my favorite. Someone asked me recently, like, what is my favorite um, aspect of, of having been a midwife and, um, you know, even delivering babies in hospital as a physician? And it, it just was like immediate for me. It's that first second where the mom starts talking to the baby and her voice is like four octaves higher than it usually is but it's just that like oh. that the even when I look at birth photos to me it's that moment of almost like relief disbelief triumph power you know, like when you see these birth photos or videos online which there are so many gorgeous ones mm -hmm. now um compared to when I had my kids we just didn't have Instagram and all that but um when you just see that look on the mom's face of like relief, disbelief, like the whole thing is just going on at once. It's amazing. What, where did the name Maya come so from amazing. for her? Tell me, tell me how you picked your baby name. Um, it came to me in a dream. Actually, it, it came, it came to me in a dream, uh, which was very vivid and um, absolutely incredible where I was, I remember the right name and I was looking through this book and I could see letters and text but I couldn't actually read it you know how in dreams sometimes it just mm. like you can't put things together and then somebody there was a presence behind me in this dream um which again felt like an ancestor it was an older woman who was just whispering into my ear and saying put the book down close your eyes take a deep breath you know the name and in in the dream I put the book down and I did exactly what she told me and the name that came to me was Maya wow um and from that moment, she was she was Maya. Did you write that? Did you write down your dreams or your stories? I think I have it written down somewhere. You know what? I never did. I never wrote down my birth stories, even mm. though so many women told me to do it because they said you will forget. And yes. I just never got around to do it because you know motherhood is is overwhelming. It is at times. <clears throat> and I, just, I just never did. But I, I've told the stories a lot, so they're definitely with me. And um. And again, whenever I forget something, I will just reach out to my doula who like has 
everything written down and remembers everything. So she's she's a good resource. I love well. that. Yeah, I would highly recommend writing down stories or the dreams that you have. I have a very vivid dream as well. I'm not going to take up more time. To no, please, tell it, but please. When I really became Mama Bear, um, this was into my pregnancy, and um, I was getting really close to giving birth to Maya, and I had this dream you know, I was still new to the role of, of mother because I had not yet held my baby. And just this role of motherhood was very new. Um, but the closest I could get for my husband, that unconditional love. Um, and I remember in this dream, somebody, this is, I mean, this is awful, but somebody killed him, somebody shot him. And what happened to me was something that I'd never experienced before. But I turned into an animal. <laughs> I remember feeling this rage and I grew in size and I took this person and I, I ate him. <laughs> wow. I actually ate the person, like tore him apart. And then I told this, this dream to my, to my doula and I was kind of just laughing it off. And she was like, girl, you just became mama bear. Yep. Um, cause, and she told me that, you know, I have a very, what she said to me, she said, you are so soft and kind and calm and patient. And I was wondering when, you know, if, and when you were going to step into this wild one, you know, oh, that is also very much a part of, of mother. And she said, that's what just happened. Now, you know, you've become mama bear and I will, you know, I'll never forget that dream that I truly stepped into a new role. Um, and that's how it happened. You're a dreamer. You're a dreamer yeah. and a visionary. Yes. I relate to that very much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you, you now are a mama and you have this little one. What was your postpartum like? Did you do lying in? Did you do a first 28 or first 40 days? What was your time like? What did you create? Yeah, we tried to stick to the first 40 days. Um, and I, again, so blessed. I had so much support. I, I really took my time just staying in bed, um, allowing my my body to heal, uh, took it step by step. And then, then I started moving around in the bedroom for a few days. And then after a while, I started moving around the house for a few days and waited before I took my first walk or went outside the house. And um we kind of had a schedule going with, with guests because I just knew I didn't want to get bombarded with people coming into the house. So we were very mindful of that. So we got to have our time, just family time. And then when we were ready, people would come and say hi. And um, it was a beautiful experience. And again, I had so much guidance from my midwife and, and my doula. So I knew, I knew what to eat um, and to nourish my body. And I knew little exercises that I could do to kind of get my body back and healed very quickly. And again, I was incredibly lucky that I didn't tear at all. So I didn't have anything like that to, um, to worry about in postpartum. But you know, what I love about midwifery care is that you get so many easy little tips and tricks of how you can prepare for birth and then how you can heal yourself postpartum. Mm -hmm. And they're easy, like the sits baths and, and, um, you know, before birth doing the perineal massage and some uh, nipple rubbing or whatever it is. And it, there are so many simple actions that can be done that I feel like I don't want to say that doctors don't do it. I know there are many, many tremendous doctors out there, but in midwifery care, especially, you just get so many tools to make the experience 
your own so that, you know, I got to prepare my body for birth and I got to heal myself after birth. And I'm just so grateful that the journey really felt like mine, influenced by other very wise people and intuitive people, but it was my journey. So grateful. Did you feel any pressure? I mean, one, you are an actress, you are a celebrity, your partner's a celebrity. Did you keep your home birth plans to yourself? Did you feel pressure? You mentioned earlier that um, when we were first talking that, um, interestingly, you used the term in, um, in Sweden that women aren't expected to perform. Did you feel any pressure? Did people just not know what you were planning? No, I was pretty outspoken about the fact that I was going to do a home birth. I was very excited about it because I was learning so much and just fell in love with the experience of it. Mm, but yeah, there was definitely pressure to to perform, even though I worked hard to distance myself from that. But there, there, there was pressure, and that that's where that worry came in. What if something goes wrong? What if I end up having go having to go to the hospital, which was more of a worry early on? Um, and then what if I have to have a C-section? There's like this, I was just talking to my business partner about that today, that we're so outspoken about how many doctors push C-sections on mamas. And they're definitely not always necessary. But then when a mama has to have a C-section, it's almost like she feels like she needs to apologize. Exactly. There's so much judgment. She's like, I promise, like, it was, there's so much judgment. Yeah. And that is also so unfair. So it's like finding that balance between working hard to change the statistics, right? So that we have less C-sections and only do the necessary ones in this country, while also making the mamas who have a, a C-birth, like make them know that that it doesn't matter. You birthed your baby, yeah. your, your baby is here and you did all that you could and you did amazing. Yeah. So there's no failure. It's very important to find, exactly. Yes. It's so important to find that balance. And especially when you're pregnant to again, have that birth plan, but be gentle with yourself, knowing that anything can happen. Um, be educated and well-informed so that you know what your options are. But then that surrender, which I, had to learn with with Maxwell is so important. I I asked too, yeah. you know, I definitely felt as particularly by the time I had written a book or two and was still having babies, almost a sense that there were people who were watching to see how my birth was going to turn out. And and even people who expressed that, oh well, you know, let's see what happens for you. Um and I was never a judgy person about where someone had their baby for me. It was always about the best place for them and the most empowered experience for them that also kept them safe and baby safe. And, uh, but I felt that internal pressure. So I, I wonder, you know, as a celebrity, if that is compounded, if people know what you're doing and you are outspoken about what you're planning. So, cause it's a pressure, it's an internal pressure that adds to the inherent experience of birth that can be challenging anyway. So was that going through your mind at all? Like, but when you were in the long labor, um, was there any part of you that was, um, so that you had like, you had your vision and your dream and then you had, of course, your concerns for your own well-being and the baby and is everything going okay? Was there also a performance pressure in that at that time for you? 
I can't remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, not not with Maya. It would it just it just boiled down to like more of a concern for the baby and for me. I just wanted to make sure because I knew it it was taking a very long like, yeah. stage was just so long that my question was always like, is this normal? Is is the baby okay? Yeah. Um, it was much more about survival than a worry about the outside world mm-hmm. because you know you go to that other place totally you, you just go to that other place where instagram does not exist thank goodness it's actually quite a relief yeah i was so um, glad that didn't you know, exist back honest, in the day i didn't have instagram at that time oh that's I awesome not have instagram when i was pregnant with my daughter so maybe that, that helped um i felt more of that pressure in motherhood postpartum how people were watching in, you in and judging I, Oh, yes. And in how I would perform as a mother. I, I struggled more there for sure and got lots more anxiety, fell into a little bit of a, a depression. It was no, it was not postpartum depression. It was not a full on thing. But the, the kind of depression that happens when you kind of lose your footing a little bit and you stop doing that. This is what I chose to do. I stopped doing everything that I was doing prior. And now I would just step 100 percent into this role of motherhood. I was tired. I was unsure of everything. I felt lonely, even though I wasn't lonely, but I I still felt very alone in this journey of learning how to be a mother Mm. uh, and struggling with this idea that we're supposed to handle it all and be it all. And the guilt that comes with not being able to hold it all and be it all. Stop and look at your crap. Mm. And how you're programmed and your wiring, it's like, it's never pretty. It never feels good. But if you, um, you know, if you get through it and you have the right support to get through it as you deserve, then you can get out on the other side and just be a little bit wiser and a little bit have some more self-awareness. But it can be a tough journey, especially here in this country where I think a lot of women feel like I need to be great at it right off the bat. Do you remember some of the lowest moments you had in those first weeks or months? Yeah, I do. Sorry to make you con- um, to make you con- No, 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 <laughs> no. But I think I think this is really important to talk about. And I still have those dark moments. Let's be real. I, I mean, I my kids are twenty six to thirty five, and <laughs> I wrote in my journal right after the holidays. I was like writing about like what a mess I made of motherhood. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, like when does that, it's like judging our bodies. When does it stop? You know, but there's so much cultural pressure. I mean, I was just, I I was just reading this book that um, Shafia Monroe had mentioned when I interviewed her. She's an incredible midwife. She was the first midwife Mm -hmm. I ever met. She's been a midwife for like 40 something years. Yeah. And she um, had mentioned this book called the archeology span of motherhood. And it's about, um, the experience. Well, it's a it's an archaeologist who actually is a white woman. She was in Alabama when doing her dissertation when an archaeological site just sort of opened up, and it was the it was the home of a woman who had been a black Southern midwife, and so it was like all the artifacts of her life and her trade. And she had been a slave woman, uh, enslaved woman, and she had. Um, had like four children when she was enslaved and then she subsequently had a bunch more children as a freed woman and the book was just really it went really deep into how women are judged by their children and like our mothering becomes the judgment of who we are 
And I, I don't think that's changed in our culture. I mean, we still joke about blaming the mother. And for those of us, I think, who are also like in a more um, conscious attachment parenting model, we can take everything so seriously and so personally. And it definitely affected me. Like now I'm just like trying to help younger new moms just, you know, just relax about it and their choices and try to feel what feels right for them instead of always what should I do or what is somebody yeah. writing about or telling me what to do. So, yeah, so what were some of those moments that were just like, ugh, when you think back, you just wish you could just give yourself a big, like, huge hug? <laughs> I remember, I mean, this one is almost, this is a little bit, silly um but for some reason it stands out and and in that moment it was a just big moment to me I was sleep deprived so tired and had to deal with yet another poopy diaper and I was I was changing that and then with another hand I was folding some clothes and I was just like deep into motherhood and and early motherhood and I was overhearing a conversation that my husband was having on the phone um about some friend of ours uh, who who's also an actor, a woman who had booked this amazing job and, you know, he was excited for her. And it was just, you know, they were having their industry conversation mm. over there and I could overhear it. Oh. And it was everything that my old life was, right? Those dreams that I had so sad and angry that yeah. I was there with poop on my fingers and folding baby clothes with the other didn't get a freaking break and there they were having fun talking about industry stuff and it just became this kind of them and me yeah. thing where I, I felt, felt like a total victim and maybe I had the right to and maybe I exaggerated whatever and many moments like that of of learning this um self-sacrifice really that that motherhood is a lot of the time what did you do I want to know what did you do like when you your know? husband got off the phone did you just like lose it or I just huff and puff. Yeah. Total victim. You know, like there's no solution. Everybody knows that, oh, this is time to just step away. (laughs) Yeah. Let let her be in her bubble until everything calms down. Um, But what really helped me, though, is that um, I could have those conversations with my husband. That's good. You know, as he he was celebrating all the growth and all the fun things that were happening happening in his career, because he could obviously continue. His life continued. Um, while he was becoming a father, but he got to continue everything that had happened prior to us getting pregnant. Whereas my life just kind of took a completely different turn. Um, And we've had to learn how to have those conversations where um, I can also listen to him and hear how hard it is for him to actually continue and not be home as often as he would love to. But it's like, I mean, it's like, it's the one who needs to provide it's tricky stuff. Yeah, I bet. He's jealous of me. And then he comes home at the end of the day and we live on two different planets, speak two different languages. And that journey can be really rough. But the only solution to that is to create space to have the conversations and show up vulnerable, not defensive or judgy. I think it's so important too to like for, for all women, um, to, show real pictures and to not have everything be so curated in social media and in popular media. I have had, I have had postpartum women on the phone as patients or contacting me through social, my social or my email, 
either crying, you know, on the phone or on, on a face a Skype call, or just just devastated when they'll see like, well, you know, so and so has four kids and she's got this cooking channel on Instagram and she's got like this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that may be her real. It may be her real. Or she may have a team of 42 people, one for each of her four kids. Yep. Who's a baby. Like you just don't know. And it may be her real and it may look that beautiful. And she may be on an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety medication, which is all good too, right? Like that's her thing, but you can't judge yeah. your insides or your outsides by other people's. And I found this picture the other day on social media, which is a curated picture, but it's a woman who's just lying on her sofa, like on a, like a postpartum pad. She's got some blood on her thigh. Her baby's on her chest. Her lunch is on the table next to her. There's like a pile of diapers behind her. And I'm like, okay, that gets a little bit more real. And you're sort of in this ultimate um, juxtaposition between the non-glamour of motherhood and your husband literally out in a world that is glamorous, right? I can't imagine. That must yeah. be so challenging. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's definitely been an interesting experience that we continue to grow with. But I, I think it's so important to tell the real stories. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been trying to use my Instagram for that as, as much as I can and talk about the real parts of motherhood. And I know that there are people that look at my my page and my life and think that it's perfect and that we are marriage goals or parents. Oh, goals. same with and mine. My goodness. Yeah. We, we are so far from perfect and I have struggled so hard. I have been nasty and depressed and amazing and strong. Like I've been across the entire spectrum <laughs> and that is with a lot of help, with a lot of support, with all of my white privilege. Yeah. And I, yet I have struggled like a mad woman. I was just thinking and about that. And I remember having this one moment where I had my third baby was just over two and my fourth baby was like two months old and both kids, we had a family bed and both kids were just up all night long and the baby kept wanting a nurse and the other one kept waking up and I just remember picking my baby up and saying to my husband, I need you to take this baby because I feel like I just want to throw her at the wall. And I know that sounds like everyone's just like listening and going, <gasps> I can't believe Dr. Viva just said that. But I really, I, of course, I would never have done that. But there was like this inner feeling of just complete overwhelm and exhaustion. And I remember oh, yeah. in that in that moment, and I was like 29 30, I remember in that moment having this like overwhelming feeling of compassion and insight. Cause I mean, I remember at that point and, and subsequently as a physician, I have taken care of many babies who had shaken baby syndrome. But I remember in that moment feeling like this complete feeling of like, what if I was here by myself, yeah. no economic resources, no like lack of anyone who had given me emotional resources. I mean, I could see how I would have lost it at that moment. Yes. And and I really I'm I'm with you. Yeah, you know, I mean, thank goodness for my partner and thank goodness for a different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's very important that we have that compassion for each other because not until we all do, we can fully support each other. Yeah. Right? Totally. And create different opportunities and and options for for let's say mamas who are alone, who are mm -hmm. single mamas and, and don't have the, the opportunities that, that you and I had. 
you know it's it's a very real experience yeah yeah <laughs> you really get to feel how human you are and um and like we're all just one we're all just like one circumstance away from a different sure. response or a different reaction you know yeah Yep. And how we have to create like resources for people. Nobody should mother alone or be, Nobody. you know, so exhausted or so overwhelmed. Yeah. So you sound like, you, well, first of all, I just want to honor you for just saying that you were horrible at times and powerful at times and just you know, opening up to the whole gamut of conversation, which I have learned that you do. And I really appreciate that. So mm-hmm. let's segue, if you don't mind. So you, yeah. you had your last birth and you were like, okay, I'm never doing that again. But clearly, and clearly motherhood has, uh, we all know, ups and downs. But somewhere along the line, those of us who have more than one child somehow start to go, oh, I want to do this again. Or I want there to be a sibling. And so you did at some point make that decision. And you have <laughs> Maxwell and you had a very different birth experience. I did. And we're so funny. We actually did not make that decision. Okay. We were so not ready. <laughs> that was we, my we were so not ready with Maya, but clearly Justin and I, we don't really know how it works. Mm-hmm. So we had we had two surprises. Um, but Maxwell came at the perfect time, but when we found out we we freaked out a little bit because we were already so overwhelmed with, you know, having one child. Um now it's amazing because they're they're rather close in age and it's it's wonderful. How far um, apart are they? They're two years, yeah, two yeah. years and four months. Well, so they're not super close, but it's like, it's great because mm-hmm. they actually play with each other now. So it's wonderful. Yeah. That's my first and second, two years and three months. It's a nice age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. And of course we knew we wanted one more because it's also, you know, as real as we're getting here, part of being real is also how utterly amazing and beautiful and powerful it is to be a parent and know that unconditional love and knowing what we're capable of, but also it's just so beautiful. It's just so amazing. So yes, we, we had our second one. And, um, what was interesting with my second birth is that (laughs) the fear of going to the hospital became pretty intense. Interesting. Um, because I had now had what felt like a challenging at the time, but also very beautiful home birth. I could not imagine experiencing that at a hospital with people and alarms and noises and you know a place that is not mine um so that that was a that was a pretty big surprise um and he was also breech until pretty late so I got to learn a lot about breech births because I knew I wanted to have a home birth but finding a doctor who's willing to do a vaginal breech home birth is impossible. <laughs> it's like one doctor in all of LA. If you want to do vaginal breech birth in a hospital, I found at that time that there were only three doctors in all of LA that were sort of willing to do that. And sometimes they would do it. Um, we had one doctor in Atlanta who was my backup and he knew I had some breaches at home. Um, and he would, he would do breaches in the hospital. He wouldn't, he didn't do home births, but, um, most OBs who do even do breach, they'll just do it with a setup right in the operating room. So you're birthing in the operating room. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh, I didn't yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to learn a lot about that and, and just struggle with this idea that, you know, midwives are not, and again, this might've changed and you can correct me, but then I knew that midwives are not allowed to attend vaginal breach births. So here on one hand, you have doctors who are allowed to attend vaginal breach births, but most of them don't want to, and yep. many of them are not even trained in it. And then on the other hand, 
you have midwives who are trained in it and would love to attend these births, but they're legally not allowed to. Exactly. So you're either going outside the law as a midwife or as a mama, you're kind of knowing that your midwife's going outside the law and that adds a layer of stress. And most OBs, if your baby's breached, it's just a C-section. So it leaves mamas immediate, mostly just Mm -hmm. having C-sections for breaches, which also means it's a very much a dying art. Which is exactly, which is why, yeah, doctors are not trained in it. Exactly. Our our backup doctor, Dr. Crane, was one of those three doctors. Oh, good. And because of my height and the way that I'm built and how the baby was positioned, he was reluctantly willing to to do a vaginal breach birth if it came to that. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of like struggling that I had to hold. And, And that's, again, where midwifery care came in and just saved the day. My midwife told me that she kind of pulled me out of all the the medical stuff and the language and the doctors and all these, all the things that I was thinking about. And she said, you know what, this is an amazing teaching opportunity that you have with your child. You know that you can communicate to your son in the belly. And she said, why don't you use this as an opportunity to tell him that sometimes difficult things happen, but we can do hard things Mm. and we may struggle, but we get back up. And we surrender to what's happening and we see it as a good lesson and we move with it and we continue to listen to our intuition and we, we move into these challenges with, with willingness and surrender. And she pretty much taught me like how to teach my son a lesson while he was still in my belly, while I was dealing with all these thoughts and challenges. And it was such a beautiful thing because with Maxwell, I learned over and over again to let go of my idea of something and surrender. And he's now a little boy who the way that he faces challenges is unlike anything I've ever seen. He is a a champ and he is so willing to go with the flow of things. And when he's challenged, he just handles it like a pro. That's so cool. Babies reveal themselves. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he he taught me that lesson too. So it was this beautiful relationship that we got to build before he was even before he was even born. And um and then I went on to do everything that I possibly could. I went to Dr. Berlin and did the Webster technique, which is a chiropractic mm-hmm. um technique. I did acupuncture and moxibustion and craniosacral therapy. I meditated and did inversions. I did my cat cow exercises. I did everything I possibly could to make him turn while also talking to him and letting him know that whatever you choose to do, I'm okay with. We'll go with the flow of this. And then he actually ended up turning in the chiropractor's office. Um, The chiropractor was there and he kind of just like guided him as he started to move and he turned. Which was amazing, Very and cool. again, really cool because I got that I got to make that experience um, my own. Could you feel it? What did it feel like when he turned? It felt so cool. I thought it was going to feel like a big whale just turning in my belly, but it was actually very gentle. And I was kind of lying on the um, uh, on the inversion tables. So I was, you know, head down, feet up, mm-hmm. and it was the perfect position for him to just switch. Um. So yeah, that that's that happened. <laughs> that was the first that was the first experience of that Maxwell gave me to learn about, you know, letting go. Let go and let God. Um and then with the birth, um we I ended up having a prodromal labor which I learned means 
some people call it false labor. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a and, long time of nothing happening, things starting and stopping. What was it like for you? Yeah, it was three days of stopping and starting and mm-hmm. it was pretty intense. So every night I would go into what felt like pretty intense labor. I could not sleep all night. That's how um, intense the, the surges were. And um, then morning came and everything would slow down. And then at night it would kick back in and I couldn't get much sleep. I was exhausted by the end of those three days. And my midwife came over on the third morning and I was just three centimeters dilated. And, um, you know, she said, this is, this is, this is a tough way <laughs> of giving birth, but we are, we're slowly moving forward, but we're not there quite yet. And how did you feel I when she my, told you you were three centimeters? I was crushed. Yeah. Uh, in that moment, I was heartbroken because I had, I had worked again. I had worked so hard. It felt like, and I wasn't getting any rest. And I actually announced to my husband and my midwife that morning, Wednesday morning, I said, "I'm not giving birth today. I, I want to, but I can't. I'm exhausted. This just needs to stop. It needs to end." You know, I wouldn't. I was not in a good space. And again, my midwife just gave me the pep talk that I needed. I can't really remember what she said, but you know, she, she, she held me in that space and confirmed that, yeah, you're doing something that is very, very hard. Um, it's not easy, but you are getting a step closer to that birth. You know, for, for every minute you're getting closer. We don't know when it's going to happen, but you're doing amazing. And I just kept moving. I sat in our hot tub to move around in water and using that floating to kind of just make the experience a little bit easier. Um, and then that same morning she was listening to his uh, heart rate and it went down and it stayed down for a little too long. Mm. And that's when my midwife told me that um, it's nothing urgent, but I want to be able to monitor his heart, his heartbeat at all times, which means that we would have to transfer to Cedars, the mm. hospital. And I had one minute of grieving my home birth because again, as I told you, I was afraid of the whole transfer thing. And yeah. here's my son, Maxwell, again, going, well, let's see, let's throw you another challenge because now you have to let go of your home birth. Um, I took that minute, I grabbed my prayer bead and I just said a few prayers. I cried, I wept, I was pissed that I had to let go of my plan. And then we went into action mode. Yeah, I got into the backseat of the car. We drove a half hour to the hospital and I felt like everything happened in that car ride. What I needed was a change of environment. I was on all four in the backseat, my mom in the, in the passenger seat and my husband driving. Our midwife was driving ahead of us and I dilated an extra three centimeters in 30 minutes. So I was at six centimeters when we got to the hospital. Um... Another hour went by, I went to eight and a half. And what, you know, I had pushed for five hours with my daughter at the hospital. My backup doctor barely had time to put on his coat and Maxwell just wanted out. I pushed for 19 minutes and he came out and I was still on all four (laughs) because that's the only position I could be in. Um, He got stuck for a moment with his head out. He was there for a minute before the shoulders came out and the mm-hmm. doctor started to get a little worried and wanted me to turn, turn around. But I knew I, I just wanted to get the baby out and I pushed so hard and again, pulled from mother earth and all my ancestors, all my women. <laughs> and he, and he came out and, 
everything was great. He was super healthy. I got to have a beautiful birth in the hospitals with, you know, dim lighting, with music, with people that respected me and held a very sacred space for me. My mom got to be there. That was not part of the plan. That moment completely changed her life. The best moment of her life to see her grandson come out. My doula was there. The doctor is fantastic, Dr. Crane. We knew him because he was our backup doctor. And, um, you know, nothing was pushed on me. I got to sort of have my home birth in the hospital and got to see that even a hospital experience can be so amazingly beautiful um, and absolutely perfect. How did that change your worldview in terms of the work you do with mamas? Did that shift how you were communicating or um, you know, what you were talking about with other mamas? Did it shift your view of other mamas? Yeah, I think, um, I think it, it gave me, it really showed me that, uh, first of all, there is no perfect birth. And for some people, home is right. For other people, hospital is absolutely perfect. For some people, C-section is exactly what they want and exactly what they need. It, it just, it, it broadened my compassion for all the birth journeys that are out there, that there is not one way, there is not one right way. And that the most important thing uh, and where we can help mamas the most is to let them know that they have the right to be educated and then assist them in finding that education, not an overwhelm, overwhelming thing, not to add to their plate, but to just know what their options are and to know what their bodies can do and to know that they have the right to say no to certain interventions if they don't want them, that there is choice, the power of choice. And that's what I wish I could tell all, all mamas that whatever you choose is perfect for you. Listen to that intuition, but know your options. Um, and there are a lot of mamas out there that don't even have you know, the, the, the privilege to know that those options are out there. And that's where we come in. That's if we know the options that exist, it's our responsibility to let other mothers and women know. That's what I feel. Yeah. And you know, it's the intangibles for me are the, um, I mean, it sounds like Dr. Crane is incredible and it sounds like your midwives are of course incredible and your doula, you know, how do we, um, how does the system change? How do those of us who can participate in changing the system change it? Because not everybody gets that kind of re receptivity no. and kind care. Um, certainly there are pockets of it. And um, last interview I did about birth, which was our first in the series, was a woman who actually happens to be um, a black woman who had no insurance at the time because she was an entrepreneur who went through a miscarriage and also happened to have incredibly loving, compassionate care. And then we hear all the other stories, right? We hear all the stories yep. of the women who were mistreated. And how do we get those OBs who do it differently to take responsibility for helping to change the system too? Because not everybody has such a, a, an array of op options. And also we know yeah. that the color of our skin and our privilege dictates how we're treated, even on a fundamental level. So much. Yeah. Oh, well, it sounds like, well, how old is Maxwell now? He is 
two and a half. He'll be three in October. <laughs> so are things are things getting a little easier in the mama world for you in terms of your own at home? I mean, it's still it's still intense to have two little ones, but are you finding that you're less yeah. in the throes of it? Or yeah, less in the throes of it for sure. Um, it, it is getting easier now. Of course, we have the you know all the all the attitude that comes with mm-hmm. two and three and also five years old. Uh, as soon as Maya turned five, she just thought she was 25. And mm-hmm. we're dealing with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of attitude here. So it still requires a lot of my attention. And then, of course, we decided to get a puppy in quarantine, which was the worst idea, oh also the sweetest idea. So um, it's still a lot, but I've learned to not be so hard on myself, allowing myself to have those hard moments um, allowing myself to lean on the help and the support that is there. And whenever that voice comes in that tells me, Emily, you got to do this on your own, like handle this, handle this, do it better, be better. I just tell that voice to kindly sit over there in the corner. I know you're there. I know you're afraid for whatever reasons, but I'm steering the ship. And if I need to have a bad day today where I need to also ask for help, I'm going to. Nice. And did so you I've oh, go to ahead. stand up for myself more? Yeah. That's beautiful. Did you, did going to the hospital? With Maxwell, did that did that take any edge off of you in terms of um, like high expectations you had set for yourself of how you do things? Was that in a um, I guess the word that comes to mind is humbling, but not just humbling. In a way, did it relax you in terms of knowing that even though the outcomes might not be what you expected, they were still good. Like, did that shift? for anything for you internally it did I did and I actually like that word humbling it was it, it was humbling because I had been such a um, you know proponent for for home birth and and uh, not that there's anything wrong with that but I think it was really good for me personally to learn that that hospitals are not bad you know that you can have an incredible experience at the hospitals and doctors are wonderful and and um, amazing and also learning that it's really good to surrender to what is happening knowing what you want but also being okay with a different outcome and just uh, trusting in the process that was really um, really eye-opening for me and a very important personal lesson and I also love that I can talk about it you know I can talk about home births and I can talk about hospital births and and letting go of your birth plan to, I keep using this word, to surrender to what's yeah. happening. And I've been able to, I've been able to share that story with some of my pregnant mama friends. And it seems to give them a lot of relief. I think it gives people permission. It's okay. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. To, to not follow through with their birth plan, that something else might happen. And that, that, that does not mean that there's something wrong. Maybe that's exactly what you need. Maybe that's exactly what your baby wants and needs. And, let it be so. Yeah, I, um, I agree so much with that. I, I, for mamas, I would always um, really say, you know, this is about kind of setting your sights on what you want and what you envision and doing what you can to achieve that. But then also stepping out of the way for the story that's unfolding. Because birth isn't actually something we can control. It's something we can move toward. Wow. We can do things that move us in the direction that we hope to be in. But then ultimately there is this complete unknowing right yeah so you've created a business beautiful balance yeah tell us about your business 
Tell us about your um, business. Tell us about uh, um, <laughs> Tell me about your business. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I loved breastfeeding. Uh, I learned that early on. I think it's such a beautiful experience. Um, and I definitely don't think that women should feel the need at all that they have to cover up. But I noticed that when I went out, if I was in a restaurant or in a meeting or whatever, that sometimes I wanted to breastfeed my my baby girl and have some sort of cover on. Um, and my mother-in-law gave me a cover that she created back in the eighties when she had my son and it was so beautiful. I loved wearing it. I love you just said that when she had your, you just said when she had my son, but you met your husband Oh, and that is just so funny. I have to just, usually I would never call out like something like that on the show, but it was just too funny that I couldn't, (laughs) there is something to be said (laughs) for raising our husband. Feels like my son, but, but that's, that's, a different, that's a different conversation. Oh man! Um, she had my husband, her son, in the eighties, and she created this thing, and then she gave it to me when I had Maya. Um, yeah, used it and loved it. And parents would come up to me and just ask me, "Is that meant for breastfeeding, or is it just like a poncho that you're using?" And then my husband just said that we should we should redesign it, make it perfect for the modern mama, and then see if we could sell it because clearly people want it. And yeah. that was the beginning of. Ama, where we redesigned that beautiful nursing cover and started selling it. We kicked off on um, or launched on Kickstarter and was very successful there. But now since COVID and quarantine life, we've realized that community is so important, haven't we all? Mm-hmm. Um, and we started building, we, we started turning into more of like a lifestyle brand where we we want to start having conversations. So we started doing lives. We were very lucky that we got to interview you. Yes, that was absolutely thank you. wonderful. But just starting to have experts and non-experts really to have these conversations about all the beautiful things and all the difficult things in womanhood, in motherhood, um, and creating content that is helpful for mamas to, like you said, when you introduced me to celebrate and elevate the experience of womanhood and motherhood uh, as well as having some products the product that we make ourselves and then also some other products that we're that we're about to launch next month but we would love to just be this hub for mamas to to come and ask the difficult questions and and feel received and held and understood and seen no matter who you are or what your experience is and emily i know that you have really um been rising to also make sure that your work is inclusive, especially in this moment and being part of um, white folks owning white privilege. So I've, I just want to yeah. you know, acknowledge that you've been doing that. And what are some of the things that you can share that um, some of the steps you've taken? Because like when you go to your website and to your um, We Are AMA page, you're, you actually, for a while, I haven't been there in a few weeks, but you actually, your link went right to I think it was Black Mamas Lives Matter, which was a huge statement. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's the most important work that we can do right now. Um, and for us, what that has looked like as two white, very privileged women who are, you know, who are the co-founders of our company, we've had to really sit back and listen, listen both to what comes up within us around our white privilege and also listen to the stories of those that don't have the white privilege and just learn um, and take it seriously. I'm, I'm part of a book club <laughs> to, uh, to just read and learn and discuss. Um, we 
are of course learning a lot about the the reality of the birth world, which mm-hmm. is um, quite devastating. But we also we're learning that in that journey, we also need to remember to celebrate the beauty and the joy and the power that is the black mama or mm-hmm. uh, mamas of color, um, and support them. Um, be be an um, uh, what's the word? Now I'm losing the word completely. Not accomplice. That's not the word. Um, ally is not the word either. Now I'm starting to lose it. This is my quarantine mama brain. Everyone. That's okay. <laughs> um, accomplice is good. Be, uh, oh yeah. Um, but to just really work and then support, use our voices or use our platforms really to tell their stories and to let them tell their stories and, and learn from them and, and create change. And for us, that very specifically um, right now looks like um, uh, creating a way for black aspiring birth workers to actually get the education that they that they want and need to become doulas and midwives. So uh, we're starting a scholarship. So that they can um, uh, that they can apply for, so that we can help pay for that education. And yeah, then that's a so next needed. Step further down the line, will be to help mamas of color to afford doulas and midwives. So there's there's lots of work that needs to happen there, um, so that they are truly supported, and so that we can change these statistics yeah. that are just not right. <laughs> no, they're not. And I'm so glad to hear that you're committed and moving in that direction. I really see that in the work that you're doing. So I know that folks are going to be interested in your products and you and learning more. So what is your best place that you should, that you recommend people come learn more about yes. what you're doing? They can follow us on at we are AMA, A-M-M-A on Instagram. You can also go to we That's our website. And for me personally, it's Emily at Emily Baldoni. Um, and yeah, just look around on our website. We have all of our interviews and content right there, as well as our product. And like I said, next month, more products. And we would love to get to know you. Um, building this community is everything to us. And hearing people's stories is, again, everything to us. And that's how we can learn what kind of content you guys want us to put out there. So be in touch and let us know. Well, Emily, you and I, before we even hopped on, talked about the importance of um, stories for us in our own birth journey as mamas. And um, thank you so much for sharing your birth stories and your journey. And just also, you know, the deep down hard moments and the triumphs. It's so uh, powerful to hear that transparency. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this. It is so important and Uh, so appreciated. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for listening and for walking this journey with us. We wish you peace and empowerment and ease and safety and support on your birth journey. And we will talk to you next week on Natural MD Radio. enjoyed this episode of natural md radio if you did please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog and while you're there be sure to sign up for my newsletter it's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health 
naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.